Bhagavad Gita is um, a conversation between Krishna and Arjuna spoken 5,000 years ago on a battlefield. It's on the uh, brink of a world war. Krishna, he's known in the Vedas as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which means um, he's the Supreme Person. So the, the structure of things is that there is... Um, countless amount of, amounts of what's called jivas. And jivas are the minute, infites, infinitesimal sparks of God or sparks of life who are everywhere. We are one of them. I'm one of them, you're one of them, you're one of them. Each one of us is one of them. And within our bodies even, we have millions of them. Every, every like bacteria is a jiva. It's, uh, actually, I saw this. You guys ever seen that Aussie, Aussie man commentator guy? He was commentating on, like, there was like a, an x-ray of uh, a, a bacteria. It was a white blood cell chasing after a bac bacteria. So the, the white blood cell was trying to get away between the red blood cells and the white blood cell was like chasing him through and he finally gobbled him up. Have you, ever, have you ever seen anything like that? It's really cool. Like the, there's this whole like world going on. This, this, this white blood cell is like trying to get away. Or the bacteria is trying to get away and the white blood cell is trying to catch him. And yeah, it was, it was like quite, quite amazing to see anyway. You guys never seen anything like that before? Yeah, it was quite, it was cool to watch. It was like watching like, you know, you know when you watch like, those nature shows and you have the tigers trying to get away from the, or the, nobody's I mean the gazelles trying to get away from the lions or whatever. But this was on the smaller level. It was the, the bacteria trying to get away from the white blood cell. So even those little, little living beings, the microscopic living beings, they're people in there with feelings that are scared. They're trying to get away, you know. So everywhere there is these, these jivas. So our bodies are made up of many, many jivas. But we are one. Like, I am a jiva in a big body. And in my body, there's other living beings. You understand that? So, this, there's countless amounts of jivas. But there is one spirit soul who is above all of the other jivas, all of the other spirit souls. And he's known by many, many names. But um, in... Uh, he's, one of his names is Krishna. And um, he is maintaining and uh, supplying everything for the sustenance of all the other jivas. You see what I mean? It's like you have the sun. You have the sun and then you have the sun rays. You know, you have little photons, little sparks of the sun. The, the sun rays can't really be separated from the sun. It's, it's really the same thing. But the sun rays are different from the actual sun. They're minute. And the sun is, supply, is the source of the sun ray. You see what I mean? So us, the jivas, uh, we are the, like the, the infinitesimal sun ray. And Krishna is the source of the jivas. You see? the one who's maintaining them all and um, uh, supplying them with everything that they need and allowing and, and putting together this whole show for the jivas. 
So uh, that's the whole cosmic situation, according to the Vedic. Not the whole co cosmic situation, but some of the, you know, one aspect of the cosmic situation. So here we have the sun speaking to one of his jivas, speaking to the sun ray in the Bhagavad Gita. Okay, so. Uh, this is what it is. It's a conversation between um, the uh, the param. Another word for the for the jivas or atmas, and a name which means atmas means like the self, and then paramatma means the supreme self. So um, here we have the paramatma speaking to the atma in the in this battlefield of on the brink of a world war. So a lot happened, but we're not going to go over all of it. But uh, we'll start from the first verse of chapter 6, entitled Sankhya Yoga. <clears throat> the Blessed Lord said, One who is unattached to the fruits of his work and who works as he is obligated is in the renounced order of life, and he is a true mystic, not he who lights no fire and performs no work. What is called renunciation is the same as yoga or linking oneself with the Supreme. For no one can become a yogi unless he renounces the desire for sense gratification. For one who is a neophyte in the eightfold yoga system or Ashtanga yoga, Ashta means eight, Anga means limbs. So this eightfold yoga system is referring to Ashtanga yoga. One who is a neophyte in the Eightfold Yoga system, work is said to be the means. And for one who has already attained yoga, cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. A person is said to have attained to yoga when, having renounced all material desires, he neither acts for sense gratification nor engages in fruitive activities. A man must elevate himself by his own mind, not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. For him who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. But for one who has failed to do so, his mind will be the greatest enemy. For one who has conquered the mind, the supersoul is already reached, for he had for he has attained tranquility. To such a man, happiness and distress, heat and cold, honor and dishonor are all the same. A person is said to be established in self-realization and is called a yogi or mystic when he is fully satisfied by virtue of acquired knowledge and realization. Such a person is situated in transcendence and is self-controlled. He sees everything, whether it be pebbles, stones or gold as the same. A person is said to be still further advanced when he regards all the honest, well-wisher, friends and enemies, the envious, the pious, the sinner and those who are indifferent and impartial with an equal mind. A transcendentalist should always try to concentrate his mind on the Supreme Self he should live alone in a secluded place and should always carefully control his mind. He should be free from the desires and feelings of possessiveness. To practice yoga, one should go to a secluded place and lay kusa grass on the ground. 
and then cover it with a, de with a deer skin and soft cloth. The seat should be neither too high nor too low and should be situated in a sacred place. The yogi should then sit on it firmly and should practice yoga by controlling the mind and the senses, purifying the heart and fixing the mind on one point. One should hold one's body neck, neck and head erect in a straight line and stare steadily at the tip of his nose. Thus, with an unagitated, subdued mind, devoid of fear, completely free from sex life, one should meditate upon me within his heart and make me the ultimate goal of life. Thus practicing control of the body, mind, and activities, the mystic transcendentalist attains to the kingdom of God by cessation of material existence. There is no possibility of one's becoming a yogi or arjuna if he eats too much or eats too little, sleeps too much or does not sleep enough. He who is temperate in his habits of eating, sleeping, working, and reaction, recreation can mitigate all material pains by practicing the yoga system. When the yogi, by, practicing, by, the, by practice of yoga, disciplines his mental activities and becomes situated in transcendence, devoid of all material desires, he is said to have attained yoga. As a lamp in a windless place does not waver, so the transcendentalist whose mind is controlled remains always steady in his meditation on the transcendent self. The perfect stage is called samadhi or trance. When's one, when one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga, this is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness and enjoys himself through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth, and upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. Being situated in such a position, one is never shaken, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. This, indeed, is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. So, we search for happiness uh, outside. If I'm going to get some type of status in society, some wealth, some fame, find the perfect partner, then I'm going to be satisfied and I'm going to be happy. And this is uh, a dream. <laughs> Nobody in the history of humanity, in the millions and millions of years of humanity, has ever become satisfied through wealth, fame, family, etc. It's an impossibility. It's temporary and it's never perfect, you know. There's so many people that want to be, uh, want to be rich, want to be famous. And, but if you look at the rich and famous people, you, you'll see how empty it really is. It's not 
some magic thing that if you achieve, you're going to now be satisfied. It just doesn't work like that. The yoga system is a system for intelligent people. People that can see the futility of uh, material pursuit. So a yogi is not a person who is a sufferer. You know, a yogi is someone who is just like everyone else. They want pleasure, but they, with intelligence, um, through, learn, through hearing from uh, people who are actually happy, considering it and um, applying their teachings, they, they actually, they, they, they start to feel, experience, an inner happiness that has nothing to do with the external environment, what, what goes on outside, whether I'm rich or poor or uh, my wife is, uh, I'm getting a wife or my wife is leaving me or um, I'm famous or not famous, it doesn't matter. This is all, the yogi sees it as a, a, a passing show and his, his focus and his um, his quest, it doesn't, after a very short amount of time, there's no more quest for happiness. A person, as soon as a person embarks on the path of yoga, the feeling of depression, emptiness, purposelessness goes away. Happiness is very easy to attain. It's not very difficult. From the, from the stage of happiness or basic peacefulness, safety feeling, uh, a person starts to experience more and more comfort and this comfort turns into, gradually turns into not just peacefulness but a, a great blissfulness or pleasure within. So <clears throat> in uh, there, Krishna here is describing the Eightfold Yoga system known as Ashtanga Yoga. And it is uh, a system that is uh, not recommended for this time because it's too difficult. Actually, even at the time of the Bhagavad Gita, later on in the book, after Krishna describes this, um, Arjuna says, the, the system of yoga you have described uh, is, I see to be, Impractical and unendurable. Is that right? Is that how he says it? Impractical and unendurable. And, and anything else? Any other adjectives to that? Something like that. But he says basically, I can't do it. It's too difficult. You know. And so then Krishna tells him to. Um, uh, he gives them a superior uh, practice to do after the after he describes the Ashtanga Yoga system. So. Uh, but the, the aim is the same, where a person uh, brings his mind and his senses under his control. He doesn't let his senses go crazy. You know, he, he takes, he, he um, 
uh, he, he gradually quietens down his, his mind and his senses, and he's, so he's not so distracted by them. And then he focuses more inwards, you see? And as he focuses inwards, then this inner happiness or inner blissfulness develops more, you see? The aim of the Ashtanga Yoga system and the system that we practice, uh, Bhakti Yoga, is the same, where I experience the inner, inner blissfulness of oneness with the Supreme. Uh, the, the method for uh, attaining this oneness in this age is simply the hearing and chanting of these transcendental mantras. It has this, the same effect as the Ashtanga Yoga system, but it's much, much more easily done. It's much more naturally done too. This is a long subject, the subject of Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga, and Mantra Meditation. But uh, a person doesn't actually, he doesn't need to do what Krishna was describing here where you have to, where this, this process of going to live on the forest, laying down some grass and then some deer skin and then sitting with the neck and back erect and, and, and going through this process of uh, uh, withdrawing the senses from the external world and going inside. The same effect is there in the Bhakti Yogi. Uh, the, he experiences the same goal of this inner joy, but it's done by much more natural means. And this is subject matter that we've already um, covered in, in um, previous chapters. Uh, so I guess my point here is, you know, even though this sounds, this may sound extremely difficult and impossible, it is. <laughs> but there is, um, you know, this is not the recommended means at this time anyway. This was for yogis uh, millions of years ago, not even thousands of years ago, millions of years ago, when people, when there was basically no vice on the planets and people on the planet and people's minds were very focused. Now it's just not like that anymore. So as the time for self-realization becomes uh, more difficult, the, the means to attain self-realization becomes easier. So the primary means in this age of attaining the same great inner blissfulness is just a simple hearing and chanting of transcendental mantras. One should engage oneself in the practice of yoga with undeviating determination and faith. One should abandon without exception all material desires born of false ego and thus control all the senses on all sides by the mind. So, we have many material desires that are born of false ego. In other words, what false ego means is that I identify myself with my temporary body and my desires that come with that body. So, uh, when a person is situated in knowledge, then they, they know that this body is just a suit of clothes or something that I'm wearing temporarily. It's not actually me. And um, I have actually an eternal self-interest, an eternal dharma or occupation that is uh, completely um, different than the desires and needs of my body. 
So gradually through the process of yoga, a person, he uh, learns to quieten down the desires of the body and the mind and engage in the uh, eternal interest of himself or the soul, the spark of life. So uh, we identify ourselves as this temporary body. So uh, we have all kinds of desires and things that are connected with that. But when a person, he starts to embark on the process of yoga, he starts to realize that um, actually I'm not this body. I am actually the spirit soul within this body. I'm the, not only the spirit soul, but I'm the eternal spirit soul. I have, I have existed before this body began, and I'll continue to exist after. Just because you don't remember, um, you know, before this body, didn't mean, doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just like, uh, I don't remember anything from when I was two years old, or one years old, or in the womb. Do you guys remember anything from that? I don't. I, my first memory, I remember like, you know, f three, two or three things from like the ages of three or four, barely anything. Just some images of my old house where I used to live. That's about it. You know, I don't, I certainly don't remember, you know, most of what happened in those years. Uh, but I was there. My mom can attest to the fact, right, that I was there when I was one and two. She can remember all that. You know, but I can't, I can't, but I was, but I was there and I was there before kicking in the womb. I don't remember any of that, but she can remember me kicking in the womb and causing all kinds of problems. And I don't remember before that, you know, but it doesn't mean that I wasn't there, you see. So through the practice of yoga, a person starts to um, have this awareness that I am, that that's I am an eternal spirit soul, and this body is just a vehicle or a suit of clothes that I have on. And then, what's really wonderful about the yoga, the, the, the bhakti yoga pro process, is that a person, he actually starts to immediately act upon his eternal identity. And through this, uh, this action, in other words, karma yoga, action in union with God, um, my eternal identity becomes awakened. Whereas in the Ashtanga Yoga system, a person sits there for a long time, controlling the, um, you know, making the body comfortable, then controlling the breathing, then withdrawing the senses, uh, then uh, engaging in more and more focused meditation, and then he starts to, and then at that point, he, at the end, in the, in the state of samadhi, he, he, starts to, he starts to have a taste or a bit of realization of his eternal, actual identity. Whereas the karma yogi, and the, he starts to engage in action uh, that is in direct harmony with his actual identity right away. And at first, he may not experience the inner blissfulness that comes from this activity, but as he engages in it more, he starts to experience uh, his eternal identity. He, become, he becomes self-realized, uh, just living day to day, doing acts in karma yoga. In other words, acting, because I am the eternal spark of God, 
my eternal identity is the servant of God, then I act, I, I act like this, karma yoga, service to the Supreme. And my eternal identity becomes awakened. So it's, it's, a different, it's a different and more natural way to experience the same uh, result of, the same end result, but much easier. Is that understandable? It might not be to some brain people here for the first time, but it's, it's really wonderful, actually. <laughs> it's really, um, to know that I don't have to actually sit for years in a forest to, engage, to, to have some type of self-realization, I, um, I can act upon my natural tendencies to act. You know, We all need to act. People need to move around. To just sit there in a forest is very difficult. To just sit there and not act and to just bring everything under control and then, and then eventually try to experience God within my heart. This is very difficult. But to actually engage in action, in union with God, I, my eternal identity becomes naturally awakened and um, happiness, I mean, unhappiness goes far away. Okay. I'll keep reading here. Gradually, step by step, with full conviction, one should become situated in trance by means of intelligence. And thus the mind should be fixed on the self alone and should think of nothing else. That's self with a capital S. From whatever and wherever the mind wanders due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one must certainly withdraw it and bring it back under the control of the self. The yogi whose mind is fixed on me at verily attains the highest happiness. By virtue of his identity with Brahman, he is liberated. His mind is peaceful, his passions are quiet, quieted, and he is free from sin. So we have these passions. The, the man has a passion for a woman or the woman has a passion for a man. Or we have these passions to achieve in life, achieve uh, wealth or fame or whatever. And even though we might know that in the end uh, they're not going to bring us the, the inner joy that we actually want, we're, we're still driven by them. Material nature is so strong that it drives a person to act even against his own intelligence. We'll do things all the time that even, even though we know it's not going to do it for me, I'm still driven to, uh, in, my passions drive me to, into actions that are against my actual self-interest. And even though I might know that, I still engage in it anyway. For example, I, I need ice cream. I have a desire for ice cream. So I know it's going to make me fat. I know sugar is bad for me. But even against my own intelligence, I'm driven to eat ice cream. So material nature is so strong that it drives us. In, our passions are so strong that it drives us uh, to do things that are against actually our, our own self-interest. And after we eat the ice cream, we feel empty. We don't feel happiness or satisfaction. But the next day, we get the desire comes up again, the passion comes up again, and we're driven to act. So many different passions that we have. So the yogi, he learns to quieten his passions. And to a non-yogi, 
that sounds like, what? How are you going to live? What about life? What about experiences? You know? But he doesn't understand that the yogi experiences uh, happiness and contentment and blissfulness that's oceans and oceans greater than any kind of sensual happiness can bring you. He sees it as insignificant, you see? So, a big part, a big uh, aspect of the yoga system is to actually uh, control your senses, learn to, learning how to control your senses. Um, there's some things that should be done, some things that shouldn't be done. Uh, and this helps to quieten the senses, quieten, quieten the passions, so then a person can start to look inwards. Because these passions are always forcing us to look outside for our happiness. You know? we're always, we're always, we're always, um, these passions are driving us and they're, 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 they're taking us away from inner happiness. So, actually most people, they're, they're actually quite, they're scared of uh, looking inside. They're feeling like, they're always trying to stay busy and they want passions because the passions, uh, what happens is that it, it distracts us from our empty state. So, um, they're always looking for some, you know, uh, some distraction, uh, iPhoning or I mean, Facebooking and and um, uh, you know, news and 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 this this food or that food or that enjoyment or that goal or just something to keep me busy, you know, because if I keep busy, then I don't have to look that look inside, which is scary for a lot of people, and uh, it is scary, <laughs> but. Uh, when a person doesn't, doesn't know uh, about transcendental happiness and how to get it, when you look inside, there's like nothing there. But we're given a transcendental spiritual inner activity to engage in that brings about inner satisfaction and blissfulness. You see? So the yogi can look inside and experience inner happiness because he knows the correct uh, function of the soul so he's able to uh, so because he knows that because he's learned that from his guru <laughs> then he can he can he knows what to do when he goes deep whereas the 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 regular uh, materialist he goes deep but he doesn't it's just a dark lonely place you see? All right, I don't know if we're going to get through this whole chapter. Um, but, let's see. Oh, yeah, we will. Steady in the self, being freed from all material contamination, the yogi achieves the highest perfectional stage of happiness in touch with the Supreme Consciousness. A true yogi observes me in all beings and also seeing me, sorry, and also seeing every being in me Indeed, the self-realized self man sees me everywhere. For one who sees me everywhere, and me, eh, sorry, for one who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me, I am never lost, nor 
is he ever lost to me. The yogi who knows that I and the Supersoul within all creatures are one, worships me and remains always in me in all circumstances. He is a perfect yogi who, by comparison to his own self, sees the true equality of all beings, both in their happiness and distress, O Arjuna. Arjuna said, O Madhusudana, the system of yoga which you have summarized appears impractical and unendurable to me, for the mind is restless and unsteady. For the mind is restless, turbulent, obstinate, and very strong, O Krishna. And to subdue it, it seems to me more difficult than controlling the wind. So, to sit there in, in the forest by yourself and to try, and try to control the mind in this way, Arjuna says, and Arjuna was not someone who is uh, scared of austerity, scared of difficult activities. If you read the life of Arjuna, you'd be amazed at the things that he, he was able to accomplish. You know, he was a warrior, uh, and not just an ordinary warrior, he was like the greatest warrior and was able to go through all kinds of really difficult austerities. And when Krishna described to him about controlling the mind, he said, that seems impossible. It seems more difficult than, to control, than controlling the wind. You know how difficult, how, how, you know, to control the wind? You're sitting there trying to control the wind? It seems pretty impossible, right? But Arjuna, he thought controlling the mind is more difficult than that. You see? And this is like a heavy dude. This is not a, a, weak, a, a weak wuss, you know? <laughs> this is a heavy dude. So the Blessed Lord said, O mighty armed son of Kunti, it is undoubtedly very difficult to curb the restless mind, but it is possible by constant practice and by detachment. For one whose mind is unbridled, self-realization is difficult work. But he whose mind is controlled and who strives by the right means is assured of success. That is my opinion. Arjuna said, What is the destination of the man whose faith does, does not... Actually... All right, we'll just, well, I'll just read through the last bit of it. There's only a few more verses. What is the destination of the man of faith who does not persevere, who, is, who in the beginning takes to the process of self-realization, but who later desists due to worldly-mindedness and thus does not attain perfection in mysticism? O mighty-armed Krishna, does not such a man being de deviated from the path of transcendence perish like a riven cloud? Is that the right, how you say it? Riven? Riven? Riven. Riven cloud with no position in any sphere? This is my doubt, O Krishna, and I ask you to dispel it completely. But for yourself, no one is, found, is to be found who can destroy this doubt. The Blessed Lord said, O son of Pritha, a transcendentalist engaged in, the auspicious, in auspicious activities does not meet with destruction either in this world or in the spiritual world. One, does, one who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. The unsuccessful yogi, after many, many years of enjoyment in the planets of the pious living entities, is born into a family of righteous people or into a family of rich aristocracy. Aristocracy? 
<laughs> is that how you say it? Aristocracy? Aristocracy, that's the word. So, or, or he takes in, birth in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. Verily, such a birth is very rare, rare in this world. So Arjuna is asking Krishna, um, if, if someone tries to be a yogi, he, he tries to uh, succeed in yoga, but he fails due to one reason, one reason or another, uh, what is his fate? What happens to him? Is he just like a riven, riven cloud, which means like a cloud that just separates from the other clouds and just, you know, spaces out, just goes on on its own? Is he, is he alone? Is he lost? Is he just, you know, is he gone, basically? Is that it for him, if he fails? And so Krishna says, no. He said, uh, this person, uh, after many, many births of enjoyment in the heavenly, enjoyments of planets of the pious living entities, which means heavenly planets, which means that are plan planets, there are planets that are like, um, in this world, there's a kind of a limited amount of pleasure and a limited am amount of suffering. There's uh, other planets where that pleasure is like 10,000 times anything you can experience here, what people are experiencing over there. And there's not much suffering at all. So if, a, if, if someone is unsuccessful in the process of yoga, Krishna says, um, after many years of enjoyment in the planets of the pious living entities is born into a family of righteous people or into a family of rich give me that again aristocracy that person gets rewarded or gets he gets he gets his time of enjoyment in the heavenly planets which is a very difficult place for self-realization because the enjoyment is so high people aren't interested in self-realization because they're enjoying the life you know they're not but this world is a lot more conducive because uh, there's not that much pleasure, you know, and there's a lot of suffering. So it, it forces us to uh, look within and, and find uh, solutions to our suffering condition in our, and we don't have the pleasure that we want. So uh, it's, 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 a, it's a better place for self-realization. So after many years in the heavenly planets, such an unsuccessful yogi comes to the, back to these middle planets and he uh, is born into a, a family, a comfortable family, or a family of transcendentalists. And he continues on where he finished off last time. So, in other words, if you make a little bit of effort in the process of self-realization, then that's not lost. You get to keep that. Everything that you work for in this world, uh, you lose it all. Everything. At the time of death, it's all gone. No matter if you're, you know, PhD, you lose that. Or if you're a, if you're a really rich, um, you know, businessman, you lose all that. If you have a wonderful family, you lose all that. Everything you work for gets taken away before death or at the time of death. And that's it. You don't get it again. There's no, uh, you know, your next life you might come back as a dog and no one's going to call you Dr. Dog, you know. <laughs> that you're not a doctor anymore you're just a stupid dog right you lose all your intelligence even before the time of death you lose so much intelligence you know you, you don't you, 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 so many people are just you know it's, it's a, you know they, they lose their memory and they lose they, they forget how to do things and you know even before the before death you lose it all a lot of it anyway so um, but 
any progress you make on the, the, the path of yoga, you get to keep that and, and, and after uh, many, birth, many, many years in, heaven, in heavenly enjoyment, you get to come back and take on where you left off. You see? So there's no loss. If you've gotten to 5%, then you, get, you start off there at 5% in your next life, and then you go on from there, you see? So um, what this means is uh, at least some of our time in this world, we should be working towards that which we can keep. You know, what's an intelligent person doesn't work very, very hard for that which will get taken away from him, right? It's only a crazy person who does that. It's only, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine if you had like a, a, a shopping spree? Do you guys ever have these in Australia, these shopping sprees? It kind of used to be big in America. They had like, um, you know, you have these, uh, you win a shopping spree, which basically you, got, you have one of these like shopping trolleys and you, go, you get to go through the whole store and take everything that you want and then, you know, you have five minutes in the store and you get anything you want. You don't have to pay for it. And you just, you know, you cruise out of there and you, that's what, you, you, win, you win a five-minute shopping spree. And uh, um, so, but like if, you know, if you knew that you had, okay, I had five minutes, and, but there's somebody at the door who's going to take it all away from me. I don't get to keep any of it, right? An intelligent person, a person who's not crazy, in other words, he's not going to be so enthusiastic about getting all these things that he can't keep, right? Because he's not crazy, because he knows it's going to get taken away from him, right? So if he, if he was able to get some things that he actually could keep, he would at least spend, actually he would spend all of his time getting that which he could keep. So we should at least be somewhat not crazy and try to uh, work for things that we can actually keep, not just the things that will get taken away from us. Does that make sense? So, so this is the point here, is that there's no loss in the process of yoga. On taking such a birth, he again revives the divine consciousness of his previous life, and he tries to make further progress in order to achieve, in order to, uh, achieve complete success, O son of Kunti. Um, I remember, you know, for me, I know that was the, the situation that I've made progress in the past due to um, me uh, being attracted to yoga principles even though I had no, um, what's the word for that? You told me the word for that. What is it? What is it? Pata, pata, presh, pata Presti. Pata, huh? Say it again. Pata Presti Yogi. Yeah. So, um, a Prata Presti Yogi is a, a yogi who's made progress in, in the past and now he's come back like this, right? So, um, for me, the yoga principles of vegetarianism, renunciation, um, meditation were very attractive to me. And I, and I, I grew up in a, in, a, in, in, a, in a school and in a family that had no, I had no friends or family members that had any interest in that. But as soon as I heard about it, it was like, it was this, this is what I want. That's really interesting to me, you know. I just had this knowing inside. 
And this comes from previous work that I've done, previous advancement. And, and, then, and then this, uh, this awoken, reawoken in me, and then I was able to take off from there, you see. So there's this inner kind of knowing, it's this inner work that we've, that we've taken on from our previous births, and we're taking off from that point. So any inclin, inclining to, in, inclination towards um, meditation, yoga practice, this comes from previous work. Prata, Pata Prashti Yogi. Okay, we're almost done here, guys. By virtue of the divine consciousness of his previous life, he automatically becomes attracted to the yogic principles, even without seeking them. Such an inquisitive transcendentalist striving for yoga stands always above the ritualistic principles of the scriptures. But when the yogi engages himself with sincere endeavor in making further progress, being washed of all contaminations, then ultimately, after many, many births of practice, he attains the supreme goal. A yogi is greater than the ascetic, greater than the empiricist, and greater than the fruitive worker. Therefore, O Arjuna, in all circumstances, be a yogi. And of all yogis, he who, he who always abides in me with great faith, worships me in transcendental loving service, is most intimately united with me in yoga, and is the highest of all. You see? So, you, a person doesn't need to uh, sit in the forest. A person needs to follow this instruction here. And Krishna describes who is the, the highest yogi of all. And I'm going to read it again. And of all yogis, he who always abides in me with great faith, worshipping me in transcendental loving service, is most intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of all. So we described the process of karma yoga and bhakti yoga uh, in previous classes. So this class has gone uh, quite long already, so I'm not going to go into any depth on it today, but it's a easy process and a very natural and wonderful process, the process of bhakti yoga and karma yoga. And, a per and that yogi, a person who's engaged in this transcendental loving service of the Lord is the highest of all yogis. In other words, he experiences the highest blissfulness um, and it's actually not very difficult to attain. It's actually pretty easy and natural. Okay? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare.
Oh uh-huh. 